everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fishman, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. Hope you all enjoy the All-Star break, because what we've seen since the Marlins have come back has been anything but great. They started off in probably the worst way possible, 0 for 4 in their first four games back, got swept by Baltimore, and then dropped their series opener on Monday against the Cardinals. The sweep by Baltimore was the first time that they got swept this season by any team that isn't named the Atlanta Braves. The four-game losing streak is one shy of their season high for losing streak. They lost five in a row back in early May. And it's at this point where they've got to be really glad they racked up a lot of those early, easier wins in the season because otherwise things would be could be in pretty dire straits at this point. Yes, there's 60-some games left, 66 games to be – specific but when you look at where the playoff field is right now it's tight and like we said like we said last week when Andre and I did this did last week's episode Marlins only have so much room for error they can only have so many lapses in the second half and there was the concern that when they came back when the schedule got tougher that what would happen especially with a young team a young rotation that isn't used to pitching this deep or this many innings in a season, how they would respond. And as of right now, four games, four losses, four close games for that, for that measure. Don't get me wrong, but still over four in the win loss column. So what exactly has happened? Uh, Start with starting pitching. Uh, Marlins have been erratic so far with it. Braxton Gary had, an okay outing. Jesus Lazario only went four innings on Monday. Uh, Sandy Alcantara was actually their best starter. He went six innings, gave up three runs, only two earned runs. The two earned runs were solo home runs that came in the fourth inning of their first game in Baltimore. But it's the rotation depth that's really concerning right now. Sunday, the Marlins ended up having to do a bullpen game because of just where the group stands. Obviously, they sent Ari Perez to the minor leagues before the all-star break because they're monitoring his innings. He's already over 88 innings, which is 10 more than he's ever thrown the season. Their goal is to find ways to make sure he's available in September when knock on wood, they're still in this playoff push and they're, and he's able to help them get to the finish line. Uh, Jesus Lazardo's already at career innings. Braxton Garrett's already at career innings. Edward Cabrera, who's scheduled to throw on Tuesday after a little bit of time on the IL, he's going to kick career innings. So seeing how this group responds and handles itself and is able to go through this uncharted territory down the stretch while in a playoff push is going to be interesting to monitor. But back to Sunday for a second. They did a bullpen game because even though they – reactivated Johnny Cueto and he's back on the roster and they have Brian Hoeing who has been in the rotation for the better part of the last month before the break. Both of them are coming out of the bullpen right now. Uh, Hoeing went, came out of the bullpen Friday after Sandy Alcantara and uh, did, did so again on Monday. Uh, Johnny Cueto was used for three innings out of the bullpen on Sunday, three scoreless innings. I should mention and that's mostly because manager Skip Schumacher has said that he wanted to give Cueto a quote-unquote softer landing back into the big leagues. Remember, he only pitched one-plus innings in his lone start on April 3rd before 
going on the IL, first with right biceps tightness, and then he rolled his left ankle trying to cover first base on a play in his first rehab assignment back. So he was out for a solid three and a half months. And as we saw, the numbers in the minor leagues were not pretty. Uh, but when talking with Skip Schumacher, general manager Kimei, and Cueto himself, they obviously the results are not what they wanted, and they see the results. But they also look into the fact that it is rehab. It was rehab work. Cueto specifically said, "Yeah, I don't like the numbers. They weren't pretty, but my focus down in the minor leagues was to make sure that I'm using. I'm working on this pitch this time." this pitch the next time, this pitch here, this pitch there, so that when he got back up to the big leagues and the, the direct call from when the results matter, I'm ready to go. And for his part, one outing in, he was. Three scoreless innings, six up, six down the first two innings, worked out a little bit of trouble the third, uh, but showed some stuff. His velo was up, which is positive. It's now important to see how he builds upon that moving forward and to see what the Marlins do with potentially moving him back into the rotation down the road. But until they do that, they have a spot open. And that's going to be interesting to see how they maneuver through that, whether it's bullpen games or if they move, say, a George Soriano into the rotation until they trust Cueto enough to move him back into the rotation. And all that is also possibly going to be irrelevant if the offense doesn't start picking things back up again as well. Uh, they left 30 on base over those four games. They've had a few bases low situations that came up empty. That's been the crux for them all season. Uh, they were they hit about 240 with runners in scoring position the four games. But as I said, beginning, uh, it's four games. They have a lot more to go. Is it time to worry yet? Maybe you can start being concerned a bit, but honestly, I'm not there yet. I understand why many might be and many are. You've seen the story before. It's gone on year after year after year. It looks like they take a step forward, and then as soon as they do, the rug gets taken out from under them. But I'm going to give manager Skip Schumacher the benefit of the doubt for now. We saw what he was able to do with this club in the first half. We saw how the club was able to rally around what he's been teaching, what he's been preaching. But – Obviously, this needs to be corrected soon, and by soon I mean really soon, before it really gets concerning. Because, again, the playoff picture, like I mentioned, it's really neck and neck right now. The Marlins enter Tuesday, 53-43, and 43, 10 games over 500. And if you look at what the field looks like entering Tuesday, Atlanta's running away with the East. The Dodgers and the Brewers right now lead the West and the Central. The wild card, the three wild card spots, there's currently five teams that are within two and a half games of each other, all bunched together, vying for those three spots. San Fran has the top spot at the moment. A half game behind them, Arizona and Miami are tied for spots two and three. Philly is a half game behind Arizona and Miami. Cincinnati is a game and a half behind Philly. Five teams, two game, two and a half games between the top wild card spot and being two teams out. And then you still have San Diego, the Cubs, and the New York Mets lurking as well. They're within eight or eight and a half games, depending on which of the teams you're looking at. So it's a very tight race, and the schedule is only going to heat up from there. 
And with that, the Marlins need to take care of the rest of their July. They have two more games with Baltimore. Then they go home. Then they're in the state of Florida for the rest of the month. Three home against Colorado, two in Tampa against the Rays, and then three at home against Detroit before their schedule goes to August, which outside of a series against the Nationals is essentially all teams who are in the playoff hunt. So that's going to be a very, very, very interesting part of the schedule especially because you also have to remember we have the trade deadline on August 1st. And this year, the Marlins are going to have to establish that they're going to be buyers and ideally swing a couple moves if they want to not only be contenders, but also be able to show the fan base that they are serious about contending. The Marlins have made do with what they have right now, but they are by far a finished product. They do have holes that are going to be exposed if they don't shore things up, ideally priority number one, just like it's been the priority for a while now, they still need another impact bat. They made some moves, obviously, in the offseason. Uh, Luis Arise at the top of the order, still hit, hovering around 380 right now. Gene Segura is starting to heat up. You saw the improvement of Jesus Sanchez and De La, Brian De La Cruz this year. But they need somebody, and obviously Jorge Soler being healthy, that's been a big key as well. But they need another big bat in this lineup. And the main name that just keeps coming back to me, and it was a name that surfaced that the Marlins potentially could have considered during the regu- during the offseason, uh, Jaime Candelario, who is with the Washington Nationals, switch hitter, third baseman. He's hitting three, uh, 263 right now with an 826 OPS, 14 home runs, 45 RBI, over 87 games. Uh, he has uh, he has he has 80 career home runs, 293 career RBI. Switch hitter who can really who could be a guy in that middle of the lineup, be a anywhere from the three through five in that line in the lineup for the Marlins. Obviously, a rise and Soler are going to stay in the one two, and then you figure you, if you can add him as a switch hitter like him inside the heart of the order, that would be a that'd be a a great ad. Obviously, there are other names around, but Condelario just seems like the one that makes the most sense, especially because of the position. Switch hitter there. You can also, again, work things around between him and Gene Segura at third. And then for the reliever, there are obviously a lot of names that are going to be on the market, but exactly who's available is tricky to determine because there are a lot of, there are still a few teams who are in that middling spot, that third wild card spot, plus. Most of the teams who are iffy about whether they're buying or selling are in the two central divisions, which basically are wide open. I mean, the AL Central, the top team is two is only a couple games over 500. Whereas the uh, let me actually pull up the exact records. Apologize for the delay on this. Uh, we have in the AL Central, we have Minnesota, who's only one game over 500. Cleveland Guardians are only a game and a half back from them. Detroit actually is only five games back from them. And then you look at the NL Central, you got the Brewers and you got the Brewers and the Reds who are within two games of each other. And you have the Chicago Cubs who are eight and a half back of both Milwaukee and the third wild card spot. But it's going to be interesting to see how they handle themselves. Uh San Diego is in an interesting spot. They have pieces, but obviously they just went all in this offseason. So it's hard to justify them trying them selling off parts same with the Mets uh 
the Rockies have a couple guys. Uh, Justin Lawrence comes to mind in terms of bullpen arms. Uh, obviously, the Nationals have are going to try to see what they can sell off. The interesting thing will be if what the St. Louis Cardinals do. Uh, their president of baseball operations on Monday said that they are going to sell off some pieces, but in order to contend for the 2024 season, the matter is who are they going to sell off? Are they going to potentially give up, say, a Jordan Hicks, or even though he's injured, a Ryan Helsley? Are they going to potentially send, potentially flip a Dylan Carlson, who, despite looking, despite being one of their better defenders in the outfield, is essentially their fourth outfielder when they're at full strength? And would the Marlins be considering would consider doing that, especially since we've seen the state of center field for the Marlins? Jazz has already been on the injured list twice. He's still on the injured list with the oblique injury. Dane Myers has been doing great, but also you know he's not a true center fielder. So if you're able to get someone who can handle center and you can move him around the spots where he's at a more natural, natural position for him, or just be able to relegate him back to a backup role when the time is needed. That's something that also could be considered. And then there's also the question of because of where the Marlins rotation is, and this to me is a tertiary concern, could they potentially go for a veteran-type starter, especially since they know where everything stands in terms of three-fifths of their rotation's innings and four four guys' innings when you add Aerie Perez into there? Because, again, Lazardo, Braxton, Cabrera, and Aerie Perez – Innings wise, they're going to be on top of them for the final two months, two plus months of the season. So if they're able to find a veteran arm that could potentially eat up innings similar to Johnny Cueto, that's something they could potentially explore as well. But one thing that is certain, and we saw it last year, uh, Marlins general manager Kim Ang isn't going to make a trade just to make a trade. She's going to make sure that they get the value that they need for it. That's why they didn't trade Pablo Lopez at the deadline last year because the returns that she was going to get weren't up to what they thought Pablo Lopez's value was. And then you saw how they were able to, to work with that in the off season to be able to get Luisa rise. Obviously that worked out and we'll see where they go from there. The trade deadline is August 1st. The Marlins have about a couple weeks to figure out where they stand with everything and obviously they need to be able to flip back to that winning mode that they had going into the all-star break for all of that to matter uh with that that's going to do it for this week's episode of fish bites thanks so much for tuning in we'll be back again next week